If I were a vampire, I would eat fucking everything. Like, sure, I need to get all my calories to survive from human blood, I guess. But like, they're immortal. They can have all the cholesterol they want. My God. Hello, dear listeners. We are back for part two of our conversation with Sarah Marshall of the You're Wrong About podcast. If you haven't listened to part one, please go ahead and do that first. For this episode, we are finishing our exploration of a Satanic Panic era memoir put out by Chick Publications by a man who claimed not only to be a part of a large number of conspiratorial secret societies, but also a real-life Satanic vampire who survived on human blood alone until his conversion to Christianity of course. Today we finish his lurid tale and talk more about the major impact that these alleged satanic life stories had on the culture of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. So at this point, he's in the Illuminati, And, you know, things have to keep ramping up because Bill can't keep us bored, right? So now he has to choose. He's given the choice. I believe, I may be wrong, but I believe that is the Illuminati that has given Bill this choice. Mm. And that is Bill Schnobelin. Will you become (laughs) either a vampire or a werewolf. Make your choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty amazing, right? It's a, you know, it is. And like, I wish I could say it's a tough choice, but who the hell wants to be a werewolf? You know? Not Bill. <laughs> not Bill. Not anyone. Oh, hell no. Not Bill. <laughs> you never, like, have you ever heard of a story where like some teenage girl is begging her werewolf boyfriend to make her a werewolf? No. Teen Wolf? That was a show. I, yeah, I haven't seen, I have not seen any of the Teen Wolves. I'm really, I'm, I'm a Teen Witch partisan, so. Yeah, I'm not, I never want to watch any werewolf content, but I did do something in maybe first grade where I told quite a few people that I was a werewolf and it got around school. Nice. And I there was about a week where... I was the kid who was a werewolf, and it was the best week of my life. And then uh, I don't remember. It was 100,000 years ago, but somehow that petered out. I, when I was uh, in first grade, I lied, but I lied and said that I could read, which I couldn't really yet, but I had memorized the day Jimmy's Boa ate the wash, which we had in our classroom. So I would pretend to read it to other kids, but I would just be turning the pages and reciting the whole book from memory. Does that feel indicative of your current self in any way? I think so. Yeah. I think like one of the things that attracts me to Reagan studies is that Reagan was like this massive people pleaser. And as a people pleaser myself, I can look at him and be like, well, for God's sake, don't do that. Yeah, Yeah, seriously. Oh, Reagan, you know, he did you know, Sarah, that he was a hitchhiker? No. Yeah, that he got his first radio job by hitchhiking there because he didn't have any money. Uh, I know. Of course he did. All right. So, Bill, he's got to choose. He's got to make 
what I consider to be a very easy choice, and he does too, and he decides to be a werewolf. And he decides this because his werewolf friends say that it's really painful to shapeshift. And, uh, <laughs> They're like, listen, it's, it sounds cool at first, but like, I love also that they had that the idea here is that they're like, listen, once a month, you're going to get annoyed out of nowhere. You're going to need to just lie on the couch with a heating pad. <laughs> just don't bother. Right. And, you know, I think it's like, OK, so you're you're going to like your muscles and skin are going to tear so that you're like, I don't even know what how a werewolf is. It doesn't make sense to me. You grow a lot of hair all at once and then you have to like shave it or something. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. Um, but yes. So his friends tell him it's just too painful to shapeshift. And they let him know um, that werewolves are about seven to eight feet tall after they've transformed and they weigh over 300 pounds, which means you gain mass when you transform, mm. which seems impossible. Um, but I guess so is transforming into a werewolf. So you kind of become a shack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. A hairy shack. Huh. Your shoes grow to size 22. They're like, you know, the shoe budget's alone. It's just not worth it. Just be a vampire. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> so werewolves are also basically the assassin squad for the Brotherhood of Satan, which is pretty cool. And they just get sent out when they really want to just tear apart an enemy and leave them just a bloody pile of muscle and tissue. That's what you do. You send them out. So he chooses vampire. He talks about how he's like big into, you know, what's the difference between like a poser vampire and a real vampire. And he talks about goth wannabe vampires, his words. And he talks about how they just like do things like they just like cut little lines on people with razor blades and drink their blood. And they consider it like the most intimate form of sexuality. And that's why they do it. But the key difference is that wannabe vampires they can and do still eat food and that is what a real a real first degree vampire is is what he calls them no food no water they can only consume blood oh my god if i were a vampire i would eat fucking everything you know <laughs> like sure i need to get all my calories to survive from human blood i guess but like that doesn't mean that i'm not gonna like use my eternal lifespan like they're immortal they can have all the cholesterol they want my god no sarah you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> bill could not eat or drink water or he would vomit oh yeah well sometimes that happens to me and it's just because i'm hungover <laughs> well do you want to be a werewolf now <laughs> now knowing that you cannot consume food i don't know the stretch marks problem too when you think about it with being a werewolf i know there's a lot to consider werewolves aren't immortal and it seems like you're actually living a much more dangerous lifestyle because you can't really make good choices while you're a werewolf so yeah i don't know vampire just has to win it does seem like you would not remember your time as a werewolf that seems like kind of canon in yeah. werewolfery right it's kind of like you're like oh what did i do i yeah. don't remember because it's like a metaphor for blind rage in men <laughs> yeah yeah it's just a metaphor for men uh -huh. i was thinking about because we did um some live shows last september which i loved and my contribution to that you talked about spiritualism and i talked about like my serial killer essay in progress and i look back on that now and i'm like the theme of that was like 
when does heterosexual culture end mm-hmm, and being mm-hmm. a serial killer begin? And it turns out it's like a really fuzzy line. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Um, okay, so Bill at some point wants to become like the next level. He's so ambitious. He's, He's so he ambitious. Just, like stop and smell the corpse flowers. <laughs> <laughs> good one. That was good. <laughs> so he wants to continue on. And right now he's just kind of like, he's a vampire, but he's not like a vampire. He's not like a top vampire. And, and as you've mentioned, yeah. he's a he's an ambitious dude. So he goes to his like vampire master. And uh, how you become a vampire is, is just like an Anne Rice book. You know, he takes uh, a long fingernail, <laughs> the master, and, mm. you know, drags it across his chest Mm. and then bill in his words had to suckle at his chest (sighs) yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ah wow i love that in a christian publication we were like yeah you know sometimes a man suckles at another man's chest and it's beautiful but it only can be to become a vampire (laughs) only only to become a vamp yeah of course (laughs) or else it's gay (laughs) or else it's fellas is it gay to be a vampire no (laughs) Only if you stalk women at night. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, listen, we got to suckle each other, but then you get out there and you kill some girls. (laughs) Exactly. You're starting to get it, Sarah. (laughs) I see. I'm seeing the logic. (laughs) More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And now, back to the show. So I think that we shall now read another short section from 
Bill's book. So let me open to my correct colored post-it tab. I just feel so academic. Hmm. Which color is it and what theme is it for? It is yellow Mm -hmm. and it says the word vamp on it. (sighs) Uh, (laughs) The lady is a vamp. (laughs) So, okay. Supposedly, for a vampire to survive, he or she must drink a substantial amount of blood each day, just as humans must eat. Ideally, they must consume an entire human body's worth of blood in just a couple days. Really? Yeah. But wait, there's don't worry. There's a uh, there's a loophole <laughs> I'm going to share with you. All right. Thank God. <laughs> or they begin to sicken and starve. Mm. Thus... Jesus's solution for his vampiric priesthood, yes, that's right, Jesus in this story, according to this satanic group of vampires, is actually the head vampire of all, okay? Hmm, all right. Which is fun, right? Well, did you ever see Dracula 2000? Because that movie argued that (laughs) Judas was the first vampire. I like that. That's fun. I haven't seen that, but I have seen Dracula dead and loving it. Oh, my God. Yeah, (laughs) classic. So Jesus's solution for his vampiric priesthood was supposedly the magic of transubstantiation. That's the right word, right? Yeah, that's where, you know, the comedian wafer turns into the body of Christ. Yeah. It is Catholic and Orthodox doctrine that the entire body of Jesus is contained in the host or wafer. Similarly, the entire blood of Jesus, the blood of a 33-year-old male adult, some nine pints, is miraculously contained within the chalice of wine. Oh, Wow. So it's really easy easy when Jesus needs a blood transfusion. I'm sorry. <laughs> it sure is. But, you know, I think, th- think that's really interesting, again, because it is doing this anti-Catholic work at the same time yeah. where it's like, you know, the vampire of Jesus is the one that creates this this way to, to live forever. Vampire Jesus is the rebrand that honestly Jesus has been needing and I think the vampire Jesus, isn't it? Have you noticed? I was thinking this the other day, because, you know, when you're like you're reading about some actor you like and you're like, what were they in? What were they in for all those years? And it turns out that they did some show that was like God starts talking to some person because there, I feel like there were like 40 of those in the past 20 years. Yeah, yeah. All I'm thinking about is like the slew of like 70s and 80s, things like conversations with God where there was like a hot time where people in like mm. the new age Christian world were able to write whatever Jesus was saying to them and write a whole book about it. And that yeah. feels like, you know, that feels like something we should look into more for some kind of a topic. Totally. Cause there's a real through line of like some stuff that we've already talked about. Cause yes. it connects to like automatic writing, which I think is <sighs> something they did in seances. Yeah. They definitely did it in the change lane. Automatic writing. Very cool. Yeah. Love automatic writing. It's very hot. Very cool. Super hot. Very funky and fresh. <laughs> um, also great for the creative process. I feel like that can be a form of meditation, like our friend David Lynch talks about. Yeah, and it's really like just doing your morning pages when you're doing the artist's way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly, Chelsea. Let's go share a cigarette. <laughs> is, that your, is that your best, David Lynch? Let's hear it. 
<laughs> Let's go share a cigarette, Sarah. I don't, <laughs> I don't really think it sounds like David Lynch, but it sounds like my David Lynch, like Amanda Seyfried doing like her Elizabeth Holmes voice. It's just like, it's the David Lynch who lives in my head where he's just like, come on, Little cowgirl, let's go to Bob's Big Boy. Have some French fries and a cola. And a malt. And a malted. It'll all work out. It always does for creative types who can't stop dreaming about a gross little baby. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. For those of you who are completely lost... We have read David Lynch's uh, Catching the Big Fish, highly recommended, about creativity, transcendental meditation, and why David Lynch loves digital film. Oh, my God. Yeah. And also, just like, I feel like this might not be literally what it has, but it's divided into sections in kind of random order. And I feel like you'll you'll hear like this long kind of impassioned section about like how it took so long to make Eraserhead and that it's like... Next section, and he's like, smoking. I love smoking. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a paragraph about smoking. And he's like, I've never done drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, the thing about where he was in art school, and he's like, sometimes people offered hard drugs or hard drugs were going around, but my friends always said, no, 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 David. All you need is to join the Transcendental Meditation Cult, and you will be (laughs) the greatest filmmaker of your generation. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I guess, I don't know, the stuff about, like, God speaking through you, like, so much of that is, like, I don't know, like, when I'm being really creative, like, I'm sure you have moments like this as well, like, when you're in flow or whatever you want to call it, where, like, you don't feel like you're having the thoughts. It's Mm -hmm. like the thoughts are just happening inside of you, or, like, do you ever feel, like, And this is a very like meditation and or mushrooms thing in my experience where like, do you ever feel like Chelsea is the envelope that you're like poured into, but you're like this like bigger, older spirit than that. And like, depending on your vocabulary, that's God talking through you or that's this like totally unchristian thing the way (laughs) we do it. You know, I think of it as like. I am but a conduit, you know, <laughs> like I am, I yeah. open and, you know, the great divine just speaks through me. Yeah, it does. Sometimes I feel that way, but in a more modest way where it's just like probably just my subconscious. But yeah, I think especially writing poetry, which was my original art form prior to podcasting, that feels like very true. And it feels like when you are two in your head writing poems it is terrible (laughs) it's so bad and but you have Mm -hmm. to really just like let the subconscious speak it's got some weird shit to say just like apparently bill's subconscious had some weird shit to say (sighs) yes yeah totally so let's learn a little bit more about what it means to be a vampire how about that yeah by all means basically after he becomes this hardcore vampire, you know, the the need for blood is just increasing every day. And it's starting to really freak him out because he says that he's driving around. And mm. this is a quote. He says that he would see a hooker, his words, and, mm-hmm. quote, mm. it would be all that I could do not to leap on that woman and rip her throat out and just drink every drop of blood out of her body. And then he says that it is only uh, the love he has for his wife that prevented him from doing that. 
It's cute that he's found like a euphemistic way about to talk about wanting to sexually assault random women. I love that. Yeah, yeah. really creative. He's like, it's an occult thing. It's different. Yeah, you wouldn't get it. I was a vampire. <laughs> I know. So it's like, don't blame <laughs> vampires for this. It's really not fair. All right. So then he talks about kind of like the specifics, like the nitty gritty of what it means to be a vampire. And he says that when he becomes aroused by the need for blood, like when he sees a hot neck or whatever, he says that it Mm. is very similar to the human sexual response. (laughs) And this is from the interview. And it's I just like I died when I saw it. But he said an arousal takes place here points at his teeth rather than down there <laughs> points at his no. dick. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. How soft are his teeth day to day is my question, <laughs> right? Because how would you know? Uh, I guess is it like because do your fangs come in well, when you get turned on? What it is is that his regular size canines, like they grow a half inch. Okay. Oh. <laughs> right, yes. So that's that's how much his canines grow. <laughs> He's neither a shower nor a grower, fascinatingly. <laughs> and he admits it. <laughs> uh, it's also, it's like, I don't know, just how all of this is like, boy, if only you could talk about sex, am I right? But you can't, apparently. <laughs> Guess not. I know, it's like one long-winded way to just say, I want to fuck someone, <laughs> cannot Mm -hmm. so now i love this part all right so once his teeth grow they're half inch longer he starts to salivate like this really thick saliva (laughs) and you know what that thick saliva is just completely full of sarah what parabens cocaine Cocaine. Ah! oh what a miracle what a miracle of satan my god and the reason being that this cocaine in his saliva acts as an anesthetic so what he does is he goes to the victim and i will let you know that bill Never did bite anyone non-consensually. He kept it to the many women who were part of these cults who just absolutely loved getting bit. Hmm. He did go too far once. He went too far on a willing woman and it scared him. And it really helped him pull away from vampirism because she passed out cold. So glad that she helped him pull out of vampirism. Mm -hmm. By (laughs) Yes, me too. By almost dying, yeah, classic. What is a woman's role if not that? <laughs> it's true. It's that, and it's to be like, you're so busy with this JFK conspiracy theory, the kids haven't seen you in two weeks. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so that saliva is, he goes to this woman who is a willing participant, he licks her neck a couple times which numbs the flesh and that's when he can just chomp away and drink the blood and she feels virtually no pain and she just has a great time you know maybe i'm not very worldly but like is cocaine known for that i've never heard of that before being a numbing agent is that true well sarah yes (laughs) oh okay well that's something you ever see when people uh like dip their finger in a bag and like sh- like rubbing on their teeth, rubbing on their gums. 
I've seen TV. Yeah. I'm like doing it right now. Is this gross? Can you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And that is both a way to consume cocaine through the membranes of your gums. And also mm-hmm. it numbs your mouth up. Right. Right. Oh. Good. Oh, right. That's what that song that they play at kids' birthday parties is about. <laughs> I can't feel my face when I'm with you. <laughs> exactly. That's Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Well, I'm glad that there's some accuracy in all this. But then it's like, does he then go get a job like spitting into cups and selling them or what? Well, he should. Uh, he yeah. does. He does offer up as proof for these claims that he once went to the dentist and he makes this distinction where he's like, this is when dentists didn't wear plastic gloves. And I was like, okay. oh, good. Um, sounds great. <laughs> so the dentist tells him, you have the thickest saliva I have ever seen. And then the doctor's <laughs> fingers started getting so numb that he was like, I can't use my instruments. And <laughs> then he had to put his gloves back on. And there you go. Proof. Uh-huh, wow. Uh-huh, wow. Uh-huh. And it's not. And I, I bet that that could also be because he hasn't like had water in 11 years or something. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so... Then he offers up more proof that he went to give blood at some point. I don't know why, but he went to give mm-hmm. blood and his blood type had entirely changed. Oh, I thought you were going to say that his blood type was vampire. <laughs> yeah. V positive. <laughs> So he's just been like snacking on a lot of O positive people that week. And that's what his blood type is. Exactly. Exactly. Which is really funny because it's not like your blood is replaced by whatever you've been eating. No, no, no. Although that would be really funny because then I would have Biscoff butter running through my veins. (laughs) Thick, thick Biscoff butter saliva. (laughs) That's what dreams are made of. Which maybe you do have. I don't know. Yeah, it's anesthetizing as well. (laughs) So my question with this whole cocaine saliva (laughs) thing is maybe he couldn't eat food because his saliva was made of cocaine (laughs) and he was just not very hungry. (laughs) I feel like that it can't help, right? It can't help. It can't help. No way. Yeah. It's like the chocolate touch or something. It's like an 80s version. What's the chocolate touch? What's that? Well, that was this this kid's book that was based on the Midas touch, but it's about I maybe it wasn't called that, but it was about this boy who like wishes that everything he touches could turn to chocolate and then that does happen. It's very stressful. And he very he gets upset by that. Yeah, like for example, everything he tries to eat turns to chocolate, which at first is great, but then he wants some water from the water fountain and it turns into chocolate syrup, which is like pretty hellish to think about. Yeah, that will not slake your thirst. Mm. Also, do his parents turn into chocolate? Is that the end? I can't remember, but if it was following the source material, I you know, and then he can reverse it, but he his trumpet definitely turns to chocolate. I don't know if he turns a person to chocolate, but yeah, what a, you know, it's just like pushing daisies when you think about it. Yeah, it is. God, I haven't thought about that show in a long time. (laughs) Um, Okay, so at one point, he does 50 lines of cocaine. (laughs) That seems like too many. The interviewer's like, but Bill, wouldn't that kill you? And he's like, a normal person? (laughs) Yes. But a vampire? (laughs) And so... Basically, I don't know. 
Bayes, I kind of stopped reading at this point because it just got mm-hmm. into more and more stuff about all of the levels and just really very boring stuff, but very thorough. Again, like, I think that this man wrote quite a book and I wish it was a novel and not passed off as a memoir mm-hmm. because it's a really thorough. I do think he has a good knowledge of of the occult um, or he's making it up. I can't really tell, but if he's making it up, he's doing a great job. But yeah, I think somebody prays for him and he becomes Christian. <laughs> I don't know. You know, he leaves his Catholic days behind too and mm. he magically transforms into being a Christian and you know, goes out to stop the occult as they all do and makes that his life's mission. But the only other thing I want to bring up about him, which I think it really relates to sort of something coming up for you and I, is that he swears that Disneyland is a cover where children get kidnapped Mm. for short periods of time and taken and bad satanic things are done to them in secret rooms and then they're returned to their parents Wow. At the security office. Wow. And you and I are going to Disneyland. <laughs> and it's funny. My first thought is like, we got to be careful. We're, we're just a couple of kids. I know. <laughs> I know. We got to be real careful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're going to go to Disneyland with uh, with Miranda, uh, who works for both of us, works with both of us. Oh, my God. Sorry, Miranda. <laughs> yeah, Miranda works with both of us. And we are going to get to see Jamie Loftus and go to Disneyland. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh just really excited about that. I'm so excited. Yeah. What are you most excited about? <sighs> I'm so excited about the Tiki Birds. And I love that you love the Tiki Birds, the Enchanted Tiki Room. And I think that is, if we form a human chain in there, when it gets dark, we should be safe yeah. <laughs> from the Satanists. I've never been to Disneyland, so I'm excited to have that like more compressed park experience. And I've also heard there's so many feral cats there, and I hope I see some cats. There are so many. You just see them winding in and out of the the whole That's place. So it's great. It's going to be awesome. I love that Disney at a certain point had to be like, ah, whatever. There's cats. We, we accept. <laughs> we accept. What are you most excited about? You know, I'm a big Indiana Jones ride fan. Love Pirates of the Caribbean and the Carousel of Progress, which neither you or I can remember if it's just at Disney World or also at Disneyland. I really hope it's there yeah. because, you know, it's it's just there ain't nothing like it. And it really shows you the vision of the future we're living in today. <laughs> yeah. God, it's true. It's like <laughs> one of the most sincere things I've ever seen. And if it's not there, then we'll have to just like watch a like a video of it and sing the song a bunch yep do you remember the song oh of course what is yeah. it tell me there's a great mm. big beautiful tomorrow, tomorrow <laughs> shining at the end of every day yes there's a great big beautiful tomorrow and tomorrow is just a dream away it's so it's good. So good it still gets me it's so <laughs> good i know i'm so excited yeah more after this. And now, back to the show. I love, you know, it's, I feel like my attachment to sort of 60s retro future stuff is like, I love to kind of look at and study like how wrong everyone was getting everything. They were like the kitchen of the future. And we're assuming (laughs) that the only one cooking or doing dishes will be wives and the the wives will all be like five four 
And that's why I can't do dishes without feeling like fucking Andre the Giant. <laughs> because the sort of the like the idea to sort of be in the aesthetic of that belief system that like technology is going to reach down and save Ugh. us. It's just like, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a nice little escapist thing, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And hopefully Indiana Jones will save us too. <laughs> Indiana Jones will save us. Yeah. So one more question I have for you, Sarah, is yeah. how is it that you found your way into the world of the satanic memoir? Like beyond like just specifically, <sighs> was it Michelle Remembers? Is that the first one? Yeah. Michelle Remembers was the first one. And I read it like before I kind of started looking at the satanic panic in earnest. I would have been in grad school. I remember finishing finishing it on the bus on the day that I had to return it and just not knowing what to think, um, speeding through the ending because, you, you know, because things really escalate <laughs> in the last 50 pages. And yeah, I guess like I love fraud and hoax memoirs. You know, mm -hmm. there's something extremely interesting about the lies that people tell to legitimate maybe the thing they actually do have to say. And just like, I don't know. And there's just like, don't you find that there's something like so compelling about there being a book that's published as nonfiction where it's like, yeah, Michelle, you know, had her teeth ripped out and horns sewn on her head by the Satanist doctor. But then the Virgin Mary herself, like, blessed her so that her scars would go away. And that that's the book's explanation. And that like the reader has to be like, oh, it's the Virgin Mary blessed her. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, perfect. You know, and just that, 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 that like that what people are willing to believe is like so interesting for what it tells us about like I don't know. And and then it's like they're like people are willing to believe that. And then there's so many other things that have been like proven to them, but they're like, no, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Oprah didn't tell me it was true. So Yeah. I just I think about that so much is just how her and and also what is the name of the woman who wrote Satan's Underground? Uh, Laurel, Lauren Stratford. Yeah. And, and they were together both on Oprah at the same time. And it's never like you watch this episode. I watched it, you know, a few years ago when we were working on our Satanic Panic series. And Oprah, there's not a moment where it seems that she even considers that this could not be 100 percent factually true. Mm -hmm. And I mean, same with Geraldo, but it was like, yeah, I just it's just such a strange thing, because also if we talk about like Mike Warnke and the Satan seller, like Mike Warnke talks about sexually assaulting a woman with like a group of other men in a graveyard. Right. So he's like mm -hmm. he commits a serious crime and he admits it. And Satanists were doing mm -hmm. that all the time on these TV shows. Yeah. They were like, yeah, I murdered somebody. And then it's like nobody's like, oh, well, we'd better look into that. It's like, oh, well, that was that yeah. was when you were a Satanist. So it's like all the bad things you've done are erased because you were like under this other power, which I feel like yeah. is an important thing because our experts also that we talked about in the Jack Chick series were all committing crimes. They were like stealing drugs or they were assaulting women or children or they were committing fraud and getting a bunch of money. So there was like a reason that they were all doing this. So not only did it give them access 
through being this ex-Satanist to like kind of having this holy attitude that people would trust and thus like allow mm -hmm. them to get away with things. But then they also had this way of saying, well, anything bad that I did in the past, I am now totally free of yeah. any culpability because I have been, you know, blessed by Jesus and now he is my savior, which is just sort of the huge problem with the evangelical Christian thought, right? Or the Protestant thought of like, all you have to do is accept Jesus and everything is forgiven. And that's literally the only thing you have to do. And yeah. I think that that is a, a big problem that these, these memoirs gave to us. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I find that to be such an interesting paradox. And it's kind of like, in a sense, to me, at least, I at least believe this in this moment, it's like the paradox on Sex in the City, where you're like, is Carrie actually describing her friends' sex lives and in, in her oh columns? And if so, does that like affect things for them? Like, is Miranda's law firm ever like, Ms. Hobbs, you have got to stop telling your friend about how you tried rim jobs or something. And for like, you know, MPD cases in the 80s, like Patty Burgess is the example I always think of, where she was this woman who was worked on by Bennett Braun, who was like one of the leading kind of voices and ultimately conspiracy theorists in kind of like inventing MPD on the fly, which is what people were doing at the time. And that, you know, they quote unquote recovered memories where she had eaten like so many babies Ugh, where you're yeah. just like, Patty, you know, I, I like cheeseburgers, but there's only so many of them I eat per year. <laughs> And like the sheer volume of baby eating that these satanic panic accounts were alleging, like if you were to take them seriously, you would have to put a lot of people on trial and like nobody with like a few exceptions. I don't think that anybody went to trial for repressed memories of that nature. Like no. the closest analog I can think of is the Ingram family and Lawrence Wright's remembering Satan. But that was like an adult man essentially being like, auto hypnotized into because he was told that the police knew he had done something and he couldn't imagine that they were wrong. He like kind of created false memories for himself. But in terms of like God, that story so sad. It's so yeah, it's so Ugh. horrific. And that's a whole other conversation. But like I can't think of a case of anyone actually being brought up on charges relating to them having been like a satanic high priestess in Indiana or whatever. And so it's like, what are we to take from this that law enforcement like didn't fully believe this at any time? Yeah. Right? Like and also and then of course there's a question of like where are the babies coming yeah. from? Yeah. Well, and then do you remember that Speaking of, I think, Kenneth Lanning's report, um, I think that he covered this in the report, but he may not have. But there was the story that there was like a bunch of women who were being ritualistically impregnated yeah. and they would give birth and like immediately upon the like birth, the baby would be, you know, sacrificed and that there was this abandoned lot where they were all buried and law enforcement mm. took it so seriously big fucking lot yeah but they took it so seriously that they went in with a bunch of you know like whatever farm machinery or what i don't know the mm -hmm. machines that you would use to dig something up grave disinterment machines yes. whatever you use yes, for that. Yes. yeah a harrow god but that's how seriously this stuff was taken you know like that there would be no other evidence of that anywhere. It's just, 
I don't know. It, there's just never been anything quite like it again, I, unless I'm not thinking yeah. of something. That's our tagline for it. It's like Top Gun Maverick. There's just <laughs> never been anything quite like it again. But truly, like, I guess like the way, because I think like to be a kid is to feel like, well, adults sure do think that I know nothing about anything, but that must mean that they know everything. And then you grow up and you're like, no, they always knew nothing. And they just were like, are still being dicks to kids because they're afraid of what kids know. It's, I don't know, it feels like a great piece of evidence in the case of like American systems of authority. I don't know. And like you and I, I think part of our bond is like, like I, for example, am not doing TSA pre-check ever because it just seems like playing yourself to give the government your (laughs) fingerprints. If they want to wrongfully convict me, of a bombing that I was not in the country for, like they did to that lawyer from Oregon, then they can get my fingerprints without me paying $79 for them to have the privilege. Yeah. And that's like, you know, kind of a like cracker barrel libertarian belief system. But I feel like one of the things we often talk about is like being in this position of like doubting authority, but doubting authority in a way that like, you know, does not lead to the Illuminati root of that. Right, right. It's a hard balance. It's a hard balance. It's like, don't trust the government, but also don't not trust the government too much. (laughs) Right. Or just like, I don't know that like, or really, it's like, like, I don't trust the government. Like, I trust like, people within the government to be working very hard and doing a great job. And then a lot of other people to be doing like, honestly just kind of running out the clock until retirement but like because of that lack of trust like I don't really think that they can pull off most conspiracies that people have accused them of and that when they are doing a conspiracy they're just kind of like openly talking about it they're just like hey should we like you know systematically oppress people who have no resources by just like coming up with government programs to justify the idea that like resources will make people less likely to achieve. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. We should talk about it constantly. <laughs> yep. And uh, I mean, and I think like if we talk about authority too, we can just think about like the authority that is somehow bestowed on like the most religious people in our country and maybe not quite so much now, yeah. but in, in the heart of the satanic panic, it was like if somebody said, I am a born again Christian, then people thought that that meant something like that. It meant something core about the fact that even if they have done horrible things in the past, they are now trustworthy. And this line where they got on their knees and they said, I accept Christ. And then it's just like, now they're trustworthy. And now we Mm -hmm. will believe literally any of like just the weirdest, most bizarre, most outlandish stuff they could ever say. And we will just eat it hook, line and sinker, even if we're not Christian, because that's the big thing is like it wasn't like this was only happening. Like obviously it was burning through like fundamentalist circles and families and Mm -hmm. religious groups. But by and large, like this was something that Oprah was is not a Christian. As far as I know, she's always hanging out with Eckhart Tolle. She's not a Christian. You know, she's like she <laughs> believed it. And, and so did. Yeah, I don't even know. Maybe I would have believed it, which is something I think you and I talk about is like you can't really look back at a moral panic without saying like there's a chance that I could have been at least 
had a, a little, you know, had had some belief in this and uh, probably not that Bill Schnoblin was ever a vampire, but, you know, I, I could have seen myself. I was a sensational thinker. So you never know. Well, yeah, and guess that it, it plays on belief and authority. Um, and it's always so interesting that, like, this is, a, you know, a series of conspiracy theories about, like, systems of power and authority kind of controlling people and these, like, intergenerational satanic cults that, like, maintain a chokehold on, like, families or towns for, like, years and years. And then really the reality of it is that, like, over trust in, in a systems of authority, like the police, because, like, surely they know what they're doing or, like... A trial like surely they're not going to admit evidence that like on closer inspection is like means nothing right. but like we thought it might mean something at the time yeah. we tried and guess like yeah that over I don't know that like this the stories that we tell like this I feel like and especially moral panics are always telling the truth in some way about what's really going on and how these are stories about like people are like too easily kind of tricked out of their better judgment by appeals from authority figures and it's like yeah like what's happening right now yeah yes yes exactly <laughs> well i think that's a, a great place to stop and say sarah thank you for going on this satanic vampire journey with me and sharing all your expertise and just so excited to spend some time with you next week in disneyland this is gonna be great I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be brainwashed by the Lib Dem cult or whatever it is that happens at <laughs> Disneyland and get Dole Whips. And yeah, what a, joy. what a joy. I I cannot believe that Bill went full vampire. I'm pretty proud of him. <laughs> Live to tell the tale, still alive. Not bad. <laughs> Bill, if you're listening, don't be too mad at me. <laughs> This was American Hysteria. Make sure you check out Sarah's podcasts, You're Wrong About, and You Are Good, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get ad-free early episodes as well as bonus content of our show, head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria, where you'll also get access to Hysteria Home Companion, a talk show that producer Miranda and I make all about stories from the cutting room floor of each topic. Most recently, we delved deeper into the mysterious life of Jack Chick. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria. This episode has sound design by Clear Camo Studios, was produced and edited by Miranda Zickler, and I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll be back soon, bringing you something brand new. Have a great week.